Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. This is a place to get equipped to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So get ready to be empowered by this message. Well, y'all, I'm just in awe of how the Holy Spirit confirms time after time that I'm bringing you the right message. Yesterday, I was on YouTube looking through messages, and we turn on, I think it was John Bevere, and he preaches on Hebrews 12, which I'm preaching about today. Somebody in our small group this morning starts talking about Hebrews 12. You talked about Hebrews. That's what it was. Tim talked about Hebrews 12 this morning, and we didn't swap notes. And then Vista comes up before she came up and shared with you guys earlier. She, she shared with me to see if it was okay. And I was like, well, that is like exactly what I'm about to preach. So yes, please do. And he just confirms over and over. I want you guys to know that whenever you come to church on Sunday, it's not just like, maybe I'll get something, maybe I won't. Each Sunday is designed by God. And it's like this journey step by step by step that he's taking us on. And you can come casually to church and miss the whole thing. Or you can engage and show up to each service knowing that you're going to get something today. You're going to get your next step. How many of y'all want your next step today? Amen. Well, here we go. Have you ever wondered why faith seems to work for some people but not for others? Um, maybe you've even wondered why your own faith isn't working. Today I'm going to reveal the most common missing ingredient that keeps faith from working. And although this has been in the Bible the entire time, what I preach today is going to be the first time many of you hear this. It's going to be amazing. So let's head to the book of Hebrews. And you know, chapter 11 is known as the faith chapter. How many of y'all knew that? How many of y'all love Hebrews chapter 11? Ah, Norma Jean loves it all. Many faith messages have been built around this one chapter, but we're going to expand our boundaries today. And we're going to look at Hebrews 10 through 12. Let's look at the surrounding chapters to Hebrews 11. It's going to be amazing. It turns out we have a faith sandwich. Anybody hungry? We'll just ignore that hunger because you don't want to miss what's about to happen. So we got a faith sandwich. Chapter 11 is a glorious chapter of what it looks like when faith works. And it's sandwiched between the same teaching before and after. And if it's sandwiched between the same teaching, that means that whatever's mentioned before and whatever's mentioned after is a required ingredient for our faith to work. Yet I've not heard one message on faith that uses Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 12. They all focus on Hebrews 11 and never expand their boundaries. They're kind of like trapped in this thing. So now we have a church that finds itself in a place where we want to have the faith of Abraham. We want to have the faith of Moses. We want to have a faith, the faith of Noah, but we're struggling to get there. How do we get there? We just need this missing ingredient, y'all. I'm going to give it to you today. So let's lay the foundation by starting at the beginning of Hebrews 10. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Sorry, yep, Hebrews 10. You may have noticed over the past month that the Holy Spirit is kind of shifting how I preach. Has anybody noticed that? Like I used to... Um, take a few verses and build an entire message out of those few verses. And now he's having me read entire chapters and sometimes even entire books of the Bible. And looking back, I'm kind of amazed that I wasn't doing this all along. I mean, the word of God is where it's at. And I only use a handful of verses in each message. That's crazy. Why didn't y'all tell me something? How many of y'all are thankful that the Holy Spirit straightened me out? We need more of the word of God. We don't need opinions. We don't need personal interpretations. We need the word of God. Now, we do need clarification at time, which is why God gave us preachers and teachers, right? But a few verses ain't going to cut it anymore. The Holy Spirit is drawing us back into the full counsel of the word of God. I want you to know, if you get distracted whenever I read long blocks of scripture, anybody ever got distracted by that? Like Kate starts reading, it's like, zone out. 
I'm the only one that, that, okay. Thanks for admitting it. I know there's more of you in the room. Well, it's time to learn a new skill because we must learn to give the word of God our full attention. Like you all can zone out all you want to whenever I'm talking, but whenever the word of God is being read, that's when we zone in. Zone in. So when I'm reading the Bible, allow the holy reverence of God to come up, come over you. Like that's not a time to get up and go to the bathroom. That's not a time to reach down and get a drink. Listen to the word of God. Where's your reverence for the word of God? Bring it back. Exercise self-control. That's a, that's a lovely word, right? Exercise self-control and treat the word of God as holy because that's what it is. And you know, one thing that helps me focus is closing my eyes and listening to the words, right? If you have to do that, that's great. I know you're not going to sleep. I won't accuse anybody of going to sleep if you close your eyes. Or it might be following along in your own Bible. Like, find what helps you focus and just bring your body into subjection. So here we go. Is everybody ready? Maybe we should just go ahead and get a drink. Okay. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. It was a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. How many of y'all want to go back to that? For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. So first Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, although they were required by the law of Moses. And then he said, look, I have come to do your will. So Jesus cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Woo, I'm glad I don't have to do that, y'all. But our high priest, Jesus Christ, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on this day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember the sins and lawless deeds. Oh, praise God. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Let's stop right there for a minute. This is such good news. Isn't it? When Jesus sacrificed himself, he forgave our sins completely for all time. He will never again remember our sins and our lawless deeds. He don't remember them. 
This is the foundation for everything we talk about today. We can't earn forgiveness of sins. I say it all the time because I need to make sure that you get it. We can't earn forgiveness of sins. You can't earn something that has already been provided. Jesus Christ provided eternal forgiveness through his blood. All you have to do is receive what has already been provided. Do not reject the gift of salvation. Do not reject that gift. Remember this. Nothing we talk about today is about earning salvation. Can you just look at your neighbor and tell them that? Nothing we talk about today is about earning salvation. Now, t- now, now tell it in their other ear to make sure they got it. Nothing we talk about today is about earning salvation. You can't earn something that has already been provided. Jesus Christ provided forgiveness and freedom. Simply receive it. I receive it. All right, let's keep reading. Hebrews chapter 10, we're at verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Amen. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. So let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Anybody feel the shift in the scriptures? Whoa. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think of how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken away from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destructions. 
We are faithful. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. And here we find ourselves at the favorite chapter of Hebrews 11. Did that increase your fear of the Lord? What we just read. If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received Jesus' wonderful gift of salvation, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover your sins. Not an animal sacrifice, not even the sacrifice of Jesus. Those who deliberately continue sinning after they receive salvation are trampling the Son of God. Isn't that what it said? They are treating the blood of Christ as if it were common and unholy. They are insulting and disdaining the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to hang out with those people? Do you think God will just excuse those who deliberately continue sinning and just welcome them into heaven? No. The word just told us he will take revenge. He will pay them back. And it's a terrible thing to fall under God's judgment. And it's worth noting that there's a difference between somebody who deliberately continues sinning and somebody who sins and repents. Let's use an issue that is so prevalent today as an example. Some people claim salvation in Christ and simultaneously proclaim they're committed to a homosexual lifestyle. At the same time, they do that. In other words, they have chosen to deliberately continue sinning. Homosexuality is not one of those things that we have to wonder, is that a sin or is that not a sin? It's very clear in the word of God. And then there's others who realize that they're trapped in the bondage of homosexuality and they are pursuing freedom in Christ. Their sin is not deliberate. They're working out their salvation. Do you see the difference? We all have to work out our salvation. <laughs> Anybody working out their salvation? Working it out. We work it out of our perfected flesh or out of our perfected spirit and into the flesh. We are living a life of repentance. We're not perfect in the flesh, but when sin is revealed, we turn from it. We repent. We repent. Listen to how we work out our salvation. Let me read you Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. Notice it didn't say, work out your own salvation with love and kindness. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The only way to work out your salvation is with fear and trembling. In other words, you honor God to the point where you literally shake with fear at the thought of disobeying him. You're trembling and I don't want to disobey God. You wouldn't dare trample on the son of God by continuing, deliberately continuing to sin. You wouldn't do that because you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destructions. That's not us. We're not going to do that. We are the faithful ones who will be saved. Amen? I hope that's you. I'm believing it is because I don't know if, why you would have stuck around this long. After all these messages about the fear of the Lord, you're still here. So it's good news. So all of this, this infusion of the fear of the Lord is what leads right into everybody's favorite chapter, Hebrews 11. So let's lighten the room a little bit and read Hebrews 11. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. 
Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That is, that what, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Stop right there for a minute. So that's the first thing that's mentioned is Abel's offering. I'm like, Lord, what does that have to do with faith? Whenever I read that, I mean, seriously. So I go back and I read the story of Cain and Abel. And Abel's the one who watches over the flocks. Cain's the one who watches over the land, the garden. And so they're both bringing an offering to God. Cain's was unacceptable. Abel's was acceptable. Why? And as I was reading this, the Holy Spirit gave me a visual of what was going on. So you have to imagine Cain is out in his field, right? It's like, oh, it's offering time again. Let me just like get what's required here. And he's chopping it down or whatever. And just, oh, here you go, Lord. Here's your offering. And then you have Abel. He's out in his flock and he's saying, where's the best ones? Oh my gosh, it's time to give the Lord an offering again. I need to find the best ones. Where, okay, one's not enough. Where's another good one? Where are they? And he gathers them up and he says, Lord, here's, here's my best, although I would love to give you more. And then Cain gets upset that Abel's offering was accepted and his wasn't and kills his brother. You know what that shows me? He didn't have the fear of the Lord. Cain did not fear the Lord. He went so far as to kill. kill. They're the second generation on the earth. It was Adam and Eve and then Cain and Abel, right? And already there's somebody who doesn't fear the Lord to the point that not only are they going to bring him an offering with an attitude, Man, I, that, that rings. I got I to gotta bring a message on that. Offering with attitude. Woo! Okay, Lord, don't let me get off on that right now. But then he goes on and he kills his brother. Wow. Talk about a lack of fear of the Lord. So let's keep reading here. And it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. So if you don't believe in the rapture, there's your example. It can happen. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it was impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. That always strikes me, right? God expects you to want him to reward you. I know. If that doesn't like express his love, what does? It's incredible. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. And by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world. And he received the righteousness that comes by faith. And it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. I don't know if you noticed, but you keep seeing the word obeyed. Anybody notice that? I did. He went without knowing where he was going. (laughs) Anybody been asked by the Lord to do something you didn't know where you were going? (laughs) What are we doing here, Lord? All right, you're not alone. And even when he reached the land that God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. You mean he didn't have a mansion there waiting for him? That this journey with the Lord required some sacrifice? 
And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Abraham had his eyes on eternity. So this goes on to give us several more examples of people who live by faith. I'm not going to read them to you today, but I encourage you to go do that at some point this week. And guess what the common ingredient is between all these people? Of course, faith. I tested this message on Beth, and she had that same answer. Faith. (laughs) Yep, faith. They all shared that in common. Obedience. They shared that in common. They all had a deep, reverential fear of the Lord to the point where they'd obey him regardless. So let's take a look at how this chapter comes to a close. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, <sighs> Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. I, I just can't get that one. Somebody's going to have to help me with that. Let's hear it. Okay. Yeah, that. <laughs> David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. Oh, but we're not supposed to be involved in the government. (laughs) They overthrew kingdoms. How many of y'all want to overthrow a kingdom? Let's do it. Let's restore America back to what God wants it to be. I tend to find those scriptures that make people upset these days and get excited about them. Ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. By the way, all that sounded like a bad thing, but he's not saying that was a bad thing. He's saying some people who were living by faith lived that kind of life. All these people that we just talked about earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. That's incredible. Everybody known for faith feared the Lord, to the point where if it requires me to get sawed in half, saw me in half. If it requires me to live a desolate life, I'll live that desolate life. It's incredible. They didn't care what others thought. They didn't care if they were tortured. They just wanted to please God. And now notice the next chapter starts with the word, therefore. This means that chapter 12 is a continuation of chapter 11. Sometimes this whole chapter thing gets us in trouble. They did that so we could find things easier. But whenever they originally wrote these, there was no chapters and verses. You all knew that, right? In case you didn't, I just wanted to let you know. It was just a continuation. So sometimes we stop at a chapter and we we miss the whole part of the story, right? So therefore, 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of death, of faith, sorry, (laughs) to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up whenever he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, somebody say all. All. Say I'm not exempt. exempt. Ah. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you're an illegitimate and you're not his child at all. So the discipline is a confirmation that you're his child. Amazing. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. What's the discipline for? So we can share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. (laughs) Anybody relate? But afterward... There will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. We're getting ready to get into some practicals. He's going to tell us how to walk this out on a practical level. How many of y'all like the practicals in the Bible? Sounds great, Lord. Now tell me how. All right, listen up. He's about to tell you how. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. That's funny, isn't it? (laughs) The peace with everyone, she says, wow. You know, the world will agree with that one. Yes, let's have peace with everyone except the Christians, right? (laughs) Let's have peace with everyone. Then they forget the and work, work work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other. Man, we keep coming to this. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. That's like the first specific thing that he mentions here. Bitterness. Anybody ever know what it's like to be overcome with bitterness? Somebody wronged you or whatever, and you're bitter about it. Mm. He warned you. Like that's the first thing he says to get out of your life. Make sure that no immoral, no one is immoral, 
or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as a firstborn son for a single meal? Oh, man. I got to talk about this. I tried to get away from it earlier. So I'm going to take you back just a little bit. Don't let me forget where I was there. So in chapter 10, when we were reading earlier, whenever he started to give us practicals there about living a life of fear to the Lord, he said, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. I see a pattern developing. And I'm not trying to, I've talked to two people about this, and I'm not trying to call either of you out on this. But that shows me there's a pattern, and I want to give you guys the tools to overcome what the enemy's trying to do. Here. Here. There's two people that their jobs ask them to work on Sundays. And so they have this tension on the inside of them. They need to provide for their family. But they know they're called here. And church happens on Sundays at 11. So what what am I supposed to do? If I tell them I won't work on Sunday, will I get fired? Maybe, maybe not. We assume that we will, right? I want to tell you that if this happens to you, it's a test. It's a test. And if you don't pass it this time, you'll get another opportunity to take it, I hope. But it's a test. Where do your priorities lie? Are you, do you have fear of man, fear of your boss, who might yell at you for saying you're not working on Sunday? Do you have fear of money, that if I lose my job, God can't provide another one? Or do you have fear of God where you're going to prioritize him over everything else? And this is a hard thing to talk about, but I, I should have prefaced this by letting you know that your the seats being full in here does not bring me satisfaction. I'm not telling you this because I need you here for the seats to be full. I'm telling you this because you need to be obedient to God. And he's given you opportunities to choose him. Are you going to choose me or money? Are you going to fear man or are you going to fear me? He gives me the same opportunities. And it hurts. That discipline hurts. Make the right decision this time. You know that you have, let me give you a practical tool with that one. You have the constitution to back you up. You can tell your employer, I do not work on Sundays because it's my religious beliefs. And if they decide to fire you, you can take them to court over that, and you have the Constitution to back you up. not saying you should go to court, but I'm just telling you, you have a leg to stand on, even constitutionally. But if you work even one Sunday, you have ruined that. You've ruined it. Because how are they going to take you serious? Oh, I can't work on Sundays because my... Well, what about the last two Sundays that you just worked? They're not going to believe you. So you're going to have to figure out something else. So that's a practice. It's very... It's much better to get it right up front. But even if you didn't get it right up front, you should still go have that conversation with your employer and just say, hey, you know what? I messed up. I disobeyed God because my religious beliefs tell me that I need to be with my people on Sundays. It says not to forsake the gathering. So I'm going to have to backtrack here. I sinned against God, and I'm not going to do it anymore. So I don't work on Sundays anymore. And you draw that boundary, and you draw that line in the sand. All right, I'm going to move on. Where was I? Whew. Hallelujah. That'll help you. It's not just our jobs that'll do that, by the way. There's other distractions. 
I didn't say it. Y'all, we have an opportunity, even when it comes to sports and things like that, we have the opportunity to show the other parents in the, in the game, the coaches, that I prioritize God. And it's probably a good idea for you to do that too. When are we going to draw the line? I mean, it's, this is how we teach. This is how we shift culture back to prioritizing God. We have to be the example. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And as you endure this divine discipline, oh man, I'm sweating up here. Don't make me talk about it, Lord. Don't make me. (laughs) I love you guys. I'm not mad at you. I'm just trying to help you. What verse was I at? 17. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai, for they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible they begged God to stop speaking. Then they staggered back under God's command. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. But no, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger... We will certainly not escape if we reject the one, Jesus Christ, who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. And since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with what? Holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. His fire comes and devours everything in your life that's not of him. Remember that faith sandwich I told you about earlier? Are you more hungry now? The glorious faith chapter, Hebrews 11, is perfectly paired, sandwiched between two teachings on the fear of the Lord. Did you catch it? Faith won't work without the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the most common missing ingredient that causes faith not to work. Because you really can't have faith without the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what moves us to trust him when we don't understand. It's what motivates us to say yes to the ways of the Lord, even whenever we would rather do it our own way. Faith won't work without the fear of the Lord. You must have a deep reverential awe of God 
And have you noticed how the church has gotten way too casual? You must elevate God above everything else. You must die to your own desires so that you can live for God and fulfill his will for your life. It's quiet in here. I knew it would be. God is preparing us. We are the faithful ones. And I hope that Vista's word that she shared today struck you as the time is coming to a close. And that's why the intensity or the, uh, what's the word? The urgency to pursue holiness is so strong right now. Whereas a few decades ago, we were on the cruise ship of Christianity and could kind of do whatever we wanted. But it's becoming urgent. The Holy Spirit says, come on, my people, listen. Throw off your sinful life and live for me. Do not trample on the blood of Christ any longer. Jesus came to give you not just forgiveness, but freedom. You don't have to do this on your own. This is a gift that you receive from Christ. He enables you to walk free from sin. All it takes for you is a decision. He's going to reveal sin in your life. He probably did today. Every time you read the word, he's going to reveal something in your life that's probably not supposed to be there. And your reaction to that is everything. Are you going to say, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm going to keep doing it. You're going to say, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord, for revealing this to me. I repent. What does repentance mean? To turn around. Just turn around. You were facing towards sin, and now you're back towards God. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that. It's that simple. And he reveals those things to you at a pace that you can handle. He doesn't expect you to get everything in your life straightened out all at the same time. Aren't you thankful? But would you please listen? Every time he corrects you and appreciate the discipline, because every time he disciplines you, it's showing you you're his child. Man, that was good, wasn't it? Help us get God's word out to everyone who needs it by partnering with us financially. Your generous giving is what enables us to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Visit nolimits.fyi to give securely online. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a message. And thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.